0: Yeah, I, I sometimes try and cook Russian food. Although borscht was a nightmare, but I think that's because I grated the beetroot borscht? at the wrong stage. Borscht soup, so, okay. Beetroot soup. I think I grated the beetroot at the wrong stage. I don't think it should have been that difficult.
1: I didn't <laughs> grating a beetroot at the right stage. Okay, that's the first <laughs> I've ever. Okay, that's really interesting. Hello there. My name is kit rackley my pronouns are they them and this is coffee and geography the aim of the show is to get to know explore and celebrate the diverse and intersectional range of people on this rock we call home and their love and passions of it we'll find out why guests identify as geographers and if they don't exactly we'll have fun exploring all the myriad of ways that connects their life to geography. So, pour your favourite brew, get cosy and listen in. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at Coffee Jog Pot. Off we go. Hello, everybody. Today, I'm joined by someone who says she wonders whether she has a kind of attention span trouble or perhaps greedy for new experiences, maybe a bit of both when it comes to being a guest on this podcast. (laughs) Welcome, Dr. Jess Tipton.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely delightful to have you here. And um, to introduce you, you have dabbled in life as a musician, Russianist, civil servant and teacher. After studying Russian and clarinet, the logical move, of course, was to work at Debra for 10 years. (laughs) She then became a secondary languages teacher while completing a PhD in Russian multilingualism. Oh, I got it first time Um, (laughs) and was inspired to return to the environmental fold by all the young people desperate to make our planet inhabitable again. And Jess has been setting up environmental networks of students from schools across the UK and will be developing them further as head of youth networks at Global Action Plan. Yes. So congratulations on that new role, Jess.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it's really exciting. And there goes the
1: dog. There goes the dog. Oh yeah, right. and we've got a special guest. And what's, the, what's the dog's name? <laughs>
0: She's called Poppy, which I think is the most popular dog name, but she, <laughs> she came with it. She's pretty much silent, except when I'm doing things like this. So there, there she is. I think she wonders who I'm talking to. Sorry about that.
1: That's all right. So, yeah, so that was that was uh, Poppy, everybody. Um, Poppy may make an appearance later, may not again, but um, just to let you know.
0: She's very excited about the podcast. That's Absolutely. what it is. Yeah.
1: Our first four-legged <laughs> <be> fan. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we are called Coffee and Geography, which was based on a Twitter poll. Um, but we don't all drink coffee. Many of my, I've actually had one one guest um, who said they drink water and no coffee and tea anymore, which is absolutely fine. Any beverage is fine. But do you have a tea or a coffee in front of you, Jess?
0: Uh, Yeah. So I have got in my Russian dog mug. Very nice. I have, at the moment, I've got peppermint tea Mm.
1: um,
0: because I needed to sort of be calm. And it's actually, (laughs) I don't know, I know you've done a bit of product placement. It's actually from Loop. Ooh. You, who are ter- the ter- firm TerraCycle, who are doing reusable, like deliverable containers that Ooh. they drop off and you collect. Very um, nice. But coffee-wise, um, I we just discovered, you know Whole Earth who make peanut butter.
1: Oh yeah, yep. Yeah.
0: They've made an actually nice chicory-based decaf coffee. Nice. And, but it, but it's really hard to find, so I haven't got any. So Ooh. I would have had that, but we've run out and I have to go. It seems to be Holland and Barrett's the only place
1: oh, you wow. can
0: get it.
1: Yeah, Yep yeah, that's that's okay. Product placement. There is no sponsorship with this podcast just yet. And the re- the product placement is two reasons, really. One is we are getting our um, you know students who may be listening or teachers who may be listening to get their students investigate the sustainability credentials of who we mentioned. So I, I like to think that more of a case of we're publicly challenging these companies to to give their sustainability credentials but also to give a plug to those who we know are engaging in sustainable practice and yeah and the thing one thing I like about whole earth is um is that they do I would prefer that they only did palm oil free mm-hmm. peanut butter but at the moment they do both they got the choice but they quite clearly say on their label whole earth peanut butter no palm oil and then right next to it on the shelf is whole earth peanut butter and then yeah. so it's a step yeah. in the right direction, yeah. whole earth, but come on, you can do better. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's great. Um, we'll get that mapped then. Right. Jess, you are in the kind of Berkshire West London area, so um, which is a really interesting part of the country because you're right on that kind of rural urban fringe where you've got the busyness of, of London, you know, Heathrow Airport's not too far away. You've got all those reservoirs, which of course feed ton- you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Um but of course you've got this connection with with Russia and and all the other places that you've you've been to so where do i start with that um okay you can start with where you are now or maybe lead up to where you are now but how has your um, where you've lived and the places that, that you've experienced how has that formed your identity
0: um i seem to be a bit nomadic but also have some kind of homing instinct so i guess that fits quite well with with geography because mm. i'm i'm i wouldn't say i'm a geographer and i know that you're reaching out to non-geographers. <laughs> uh so um because I studied Russian and French I guess you know you're naturally inclined to go and live in other places and learn about other cultures. So uh so I spent my year abroad in St Petersburg. So that's a yeah requirement if you do modern languages degree. Uh and then ever since I've sort of been drawn back to Russia and Ukraine and the Baltics both just to visit and do research and stuff like that. Um, Although, um, obviously, like I'm trying not to fly, and I haven't flown for leisure for a very long time, and I've only flown for a couple of school trips and um, a couple of research trips. Anyway, so got to find a way to get there by train or something that doesn't like take forever. So that's that's a mission. Um so and then like where where we've lived been also a bit all over the place. So so yeah I grew up in West London and I teach there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um and we've lived in Norwood Norwood Junction Ascot most of this is to do with work I think. <laughs> um then where did we go? Seven Oaks. Glastonbury, yay, that was that was the best place, absolutely brilliant place to live, uh, Bristol for my degree, and then North London, Mill Hill, and then back to Ascot, huh. and then teaching in West London, so there's a sort of coming back thing, and then a sort of going away thing, in sort of three year cycles
1: so what what has stuck with you then, as part of your personal i mean i mean i don't i i don't know the West London kind of Berkshire area that well, or apparently some of my ancestors are from like the Reading area, but only yeah
0: we're
1: quite near we're quite near Reading. yeah so but quite 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 removed though so what has stuck with like for example, you said you went to Bristol, we went to university is is there kind of like any aspect of Bristol that has kept with you like something you picked up while you were there, and it's like you've carried that around with you since or when you 've been to you know eastern europe and, and russia is like anything you've brought back obviously the the, the fact that you're interested in russian culture and stuff is one thing
0: um, i mean bristol i always said when i was at bristol for my uh degree this is where i'd like to live and come back to and loads of us like from my year all different courses wanted to do that um so i and, and i did my phd was at bristol so that did kind of happen although not living there um, we've got family that live there, so we go there quite a lot, and friends. Um, and then, yeah, so, and then living in Glastonbury, that's pretty close to Bristol. So I have a desire to, like, be there, and I have, when I have a big loyalty to it, so when I ever hear, whenever I hear Bristol come up, and so with these networks um, I've been helping set up, so one is Avon. And there's um, another one in Somerset, and I have a real like. I really want these networks to be a success because it's such a such a great place to live round there. Um, yeah, and then Russia, Russia. I definitely have a kind of probably a love hate relationship. I think that's okay. To, I think that's okay to say. No one will come and get me. So I I, I call that my second second homeland for sure. My second motherland, you whatever. Know. Um, and I'm actually not going to be teaching um, languages anymore. I I, oh. I dropped that about three weeks ago because this juggling thing, this multitasking jack of all trades thing, doesn't. It's not really sustainable. <laughs> 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 um, so, and I'm going to really, really miss it. Um, I I can't think of anything like tangible from either. It's just a sort of feeling and a draw mm. and a kind of loyalty. Um, but I, do, I definitely have the certain things. I mean, I've got loads of stuff from Russia, like like this mug.
1: Like the mug, yep.
0: Um, and various bits and pieces. There's vodka over there, although one bottle is uh, made in Oxford, actually. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I, I sometimes try and cook Russian food, although borscht was a nightmare. But I think that's because I grated the beetroot borscht? at the wrong state. Borscht soup so okay beetroot soup i think i grated the beetroot at the wrong stage i don't think it should have been that difficult
1: i didn't (laughs) grating a beetroot at the right stage okay that's the first time okay i think
0: i i think this was a really long time ago and i (sighs) think i grated it when it was raw and i think you should do it when it's cooked but that was like carnage, and it was really tasty. But I said, "I'm never doing that again."
1: <laughs> I like that. Oh, I'm going to have to make a note of that. I need to look and, that up.
0: And, and there's just Russian stuff everywhere. So all over iPlayer, um, all, like podcasts. Um, you know, theatres are full of like Russian plays. Um, people are really into Russian culture, and I think whenever there's like a big there's political issues with Russia. Which are pretty bad right now, mm. um, people get more into the culture, and there's sort of soft power going
1: on I think that's absolutely wonderful having you on because it's it's a nuance which which is really really um ignored and missed you know with especially i mean we're recording this today on just to give it I forgot to give it on the uh, time check the twenty fourth <laughs> of June uh, but probably people are listening to this around about september time um and this is the day after the news that came out about um you know one one of the royal navy ships out in the uh, red sea a uh, black sea sorry you know near crimea so um and there was that tension between that and the standoff between the russian military so and then all of that kind of so whenever we think of russia we all, that's all we kind of really think about you know is is big state centralized communism you know military power hack, you know alleged influence in in elections all that kind of stuff but we don't think about things like well, what about the culture what about what about what the the people of Russia offer things you know the fact that it's a huge country with many different cultures, you know because <laughs> you can guarantee that place like Okutst isn't very much like places in the west like Moscow, you know and uh, and whatnot so so yeah that's that's really, really fantastic, and I think um there you go if you've, if you've learned anything alternative about Russia today, everybody, then it's you must grate your beetroot at the correct stage I,
0: sh- I think. <laughs> also, uh, just on the like diversity of Russia. Mm. So, my one of my favourite facts, and with with um, my students, they did a talk for Black History Month about race in Russia. That was Ooh. super interesting. It's not looked into that much. Um, but so, to, even after like collapse of the Soviet Union, end of the Russian Empire, still ten percent of the Russian population are Muslim. Wow! I think people are quite surprised because they think of russians as uh quite xenophobic and white um but it's so much more complicated than that yeah and, you know you've got so, so such a mixed population because of all the all the countries around and all the you know intermarriage and
1: yeah absolutely and i and i mentioned i mentioned uh, a which is actually closer to mongolia than it is <laughs> to you know ukraine belarus they're much much closer so uh Fantastic. Well, I'm going to stick to the, um, the theme of Russia, but kind of bring a bit more of a, a geography kind of activist kind of thing, because in in a sense, you're, you know, you're, an, you are an activist and we'll talk a bit about later regards to empowering, you know, young people in particular with environmental issues. Um, but there's this, um, so what we're going to do, we're going to do uh, jog your memory. And what this is, this, this is a little feature where we talk about some person or event in a uh, geographical history who's made an impact Um, and because we're just been talking about Russian we're going to talk about um, Peter Kropotkin and uh, for five years as a young man in the Russian military he was actually based in Siberia and apart from his uh, military duties he studied animal life engaged in geographic exploration and on the basis of his observations he elaborated a theory on the structural lines of mountain ranges Helped revise you know the mapping and the cartography of eastern Asia. so he did a lot of that stuff and he actually contributed to the knowledge of the glaciation of Asia and Europe during the Ice Age, which is amazing. But the reason why I kind of want to bring him up is because of his his activism. So he actually lived in exile from Russia for his strong views that there should be decentralized anarchism, you know. And but he brought science into the reason why this should be the case, and he, he wrote a book called Mutual Aid, which is widely regarded as a masterpiece. I'm kind of ad libbing here from uh, <laughs> from. Uh, britannica here and he argued this is really interesting he argued that despite the darwinian concept of survival of the fittest cooperation rather than conflict is the chief factor in the evolution of species which i find intriguing so what we're seeing with environmental activism today jess you know like uh, calls to defund uh centralized law enforcement you know extinction rebellion decolonization all that clearly this is nothing new because we have this this person here and I'm not we're not going to say about the time that he was around because that's what you've got to guess but so with everybody listening with that back in the back of their mind what's from your activism and and your point of view I mean you say you're not a geographer but you certainly certainly are in the sense that you are very a very concerned environmental activist and you're very very good at getting students involved so so how have you been going about that? What what's driven you to really take up this cause and get young people involved? So
0: I mean I actually did give up on it at one point. <laughs> so so I worked in the Department of Environment in DEFA for ten years on and off. Um but because of this like keep trying to juggle lots of things, I, I had a career break um to start the PhD and I went on comment to a charity. One of the prince's charities for um, children in the arts doesn't it's been since disbanded hmm. um but so, but you know on and off for ten years, I was moving around Defra, so i I came in not not as a well as a concern but someone very concerned about the planet, and i did I actually did my master's dissertation on Russia and the Kyoto Protocol, so oh, Russia and Climate change negotiations, so it had always it had always been with me, and obviously i chose chose to write about that um but i was I think I was put into defra, so you you like just apply for you know civil service generally and i I put on the form it said what do you what do you most care about or something like that and I think I put climate change, so I was obviously put into Department of environment, but I went there without that being my kind of training or background and then I ended up because you move around a lot covering marine policy, sustainable farming, EU and international um, policy, uh, what else, animal disease risk.
1: Nice, <laughs> um, very, very poignant climate nowadays. Cha-
0: yes, climate <laughs> adaptation and agriculture um, and ended up on the 25-year environment plan which is now sort of morphed into the environment bill. So, and that was all different governments. So, started off with Labour, then Coalition, right? My memory's hazy. And then uh, Conservative. So, all different ministers. In that time, there were loads of budget cuts. I think the staff at one time was reduced by a third. Mm. And then that happened again. And I left just before Brexit um, was on the cards by coincidence, I mean, that's not why I didn't know that was going to happen. I think there was an assumption it wouldn't, actually. Mm. So at the point I left and I had been doing this really interesting PhD, just simply, well, there was there was a funding opportunity to be on a research project. And I was like, oh, Russia, France, great, I'll do that. <laughs> um, and I was sort of quite into that and was teaching in a school in Somerset um, in a secondary uh, comprehensive in Somerset, I was teaching Russian there as like a club, which was amazing, and teaching at the university as well. So I, I'd actually decided I can't, I can't manage this planet business. <laughs> this, we're, we're pretty doomed. Yeah, I'm. I, I don't know how we're gonna get out of this. There's not enough resource. There's not enough. Uh, it wasn't like now. This mm. was pre Greta, pre Fridays for Futures, pre XR and i thought oh i'll go and focus on something else and you know and work with young people teaching i, I like it it's interactive you get away from a computer so but actually when i got to school i think after about a year or two uh someone went on maternity cover i think this is often the way geography teacher went on maternity cover they needed someone to do the eco committee and i was I was I also had suggested for part, a partnerships project for environment to be the focus because it's such a great way to bring students from different backgrounds together so this is like west london which is quite a strange place it's everyone's like cheap by jowl um like privileged and deprived and very mixed ethnically and linguistically and generationally and everything so um yeah, so originally, my kind of idea was, um, and this was Greta, Greta moment as well, students are worried about this, and it's, this is a good way to bring them together, rather than some kind of contrived project. Yeah, so that's how it started, and it's just really evolved. So the eco-committee grew from like a handful of students, like five in year 12, to fifteen in year twelve and and then cross the entire year. I mean we're now oversubscribed and I think it's probably ten to fifteen percent are actively in the eco committee. Another lot are doing studying geography, so they're doing stuff like that. Another lot are doing eco stuff through Young Enterprise or nice. you know, EPQ type things. So it's like really permeating the whole school now. So I so I sort of ended up in this situation of bringing bringing young people together and and it growing through London because there's definitely a need for students from different backgrounds, from different schools to kind of find each other so that they know they're not alone, they're not the only people who care. They might be one person in their school or there might be a whole tribe of them in their school and they can share ideas and network and influence their own schools and influence MPs together. Because you can't do... I mean, I know Greta's done a lot on her own, but nobody should be doing this on their own.
1: No, and this is a perfect time, of course, to give a shout out to the, um you know, the London Eco Network folks that you're a part of and that that's kind of you have fed into, which is absolutely amazing. And, you know, what... Well, just before we started recording you know we actually just naturally because we we've worked together a fair bit on on stuff like this we just naturally like started talking collaborating just instinctively and naturally didn't we about potential things that we might get up to later but if us adults do that anyway and naturally and organically then why can't we empower our kids to do it and also it's not just it's not just helping to face issues you know like environment issues and climate This it's also a fantastic character building social skill you know life skills that they're learning about how to interconnect and work with and collaborate with each other and i just think yeah so shout out again to the folks to to the london eco schools network because you are absolutely amazing and you've really empowered so many youngsters and then you're leading by example and and i know actually that 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 eco network isn't just for london because you get so much engagement from schools and kids from all over the country which is fantastic and i know that you as a network were a big big part of um global action plans youth climate summit last november which which is all the resources from that are free to look at so
0: absolutely yeah shout out for the youth climate summit yeah and so yeah the london schools eco network it's now right across a lot of schools in london it's just spread and um the idea now is with my role that i can be a bit more strategic and like um reach out to other schools that aren't already on board and yeah we've and that model for london has now been um sort of replicated but in a bespoke way like yeah. all over and i'm getting emails like every week from different groups so we've now got at least seven and a lot more in the pipeline yeah um with, with staff and student, and, and and i mean the thing about it is everyone's doing this voluntarily which is great and wrong <laughs> <laughs> um so you know all the meetings are after school in the evenings um after they've done all their school work and you know it's amazing and then the teachers are all or not just teachers school staff in general and freelancers and you know people like yourselves are like contributing um in their own time primarily or they might have a notional role but this is so much work that yeah, yeah. so and so i think like one of our um, I know you, I, I'm not using this as a platform, but I think one of the <laughs> important things is um, to to for these networks, these students together and the staff to say this these have got to be properly recognised roles. This has got to be in Definitely. the curriculum. It's got to, every school has got to be signed up to Let's Go Zero and have a sustainability strategy. Because this, as the kids have said to me, this is not a club. We do have fun and we develop all these skills. Uh, and we get to meet each other but this is not like i don't know chess club or um <laughs> you know playing hockey or something it's it's work it's work yeah, there's
1: there's stakes involved there's stakes involved yeah. they're, they're invested in it and and this is the whole thing it's it's you're right it's all about empowerment and the reason why you're getting such purchase even though it's voluntary is because because the way that that you and the, and the network have been doing it is that the students feel empowered and they, and they have a sense of ownership on it and one thing and again everybody i'll I, you know, no, Jess, don't ever apologise for for platforming because because there are there are people listen this for leisure. But hey, if we can give them some ideas and that that you know that they want, you know, like if they're in a school in London, they can mm-hmm. now get in touch you with something like that, or if or they might want to set up something themselves, we've given them a bit of inspiration as well as getting to know you as a person. I just think it's why not? It's a win-win. So yeah, don't ever apologise for platforming, and um, <laughs> it's a very important issue, which is of course um, it's um, encompasses all of our lives in some way we just can't get away from it so looping now back to uh you know to our russian friend uh, peter <laughs> kropotkin it just goes to show that he is an example that what we're doing today all of this activism all of this you know dissent if you so if some people so wish to call it is not new it's nothing new it's nothing new at all and actually People who care about the environment and a jog for stuff like that are usually quite core to some of these movements, especially, you know, when it comes to environmental degradation and taking care of the land and stuff like that. And of course, we know that indigenous populations all around the world have been doing this for generations, for generations. It's not new at all. And of course the way it gets framed by certain uh, powers that be and the media stuff kind of attempt to change the narrative. But the fundamental question we've got to ask us, uh, ask each other is before you judge people like this is. Why are we doing it? Why are we doing it? That's the question. So before you say, you know, they should, they shouldn't be chaining them, you know, Greenpeace shouldn't be chained themselves to an oil rig or something like that, you got asked, the, got asked the question, okay, maybe you wouldn't do that, but why are they doing that? You might not agree with their methods, but why are they doing that? So Peter got in so much trouble with the Russian government that he was almost, he was arrested actually, uh, by a police dragnet, but he managed to escape prison. And then he went into exile. So uh, because of his, he was seen as a dissident, you know, because he was, he was um, going for uh, basically anarchy, you know, no centralized government, all that kind of stuff. So my question to you then, uh, Jess, have a little guess. So you might not know (laughs) nothing at all about Pete or something, but um, give us a a ballpark guess. When do you think um, Mr. Kropotkin was in exile? You can give me a decade or a period of time. It's not a problem. It's it's, it's not, there's okay, no... Okay, uh... so
0: I'll, I'll show my workings. I'll show my Go workings. Then, show
1: workings. Go ahead show you
0: workings. So my period, so when I was looking at multilingualism in Russia, um, that was the 18th and going into the middle of the 19th century. Okay. So he, di- I mean, I've heard of him, but he didn't come up then. So therefore, <laughs> I'm assuming, unless there's like a massive gap, which maybe there is, he's after that okay um and then i mean it, he he's probably one of the ones um what well he, he's probably i mean they were mostly nobles um because i mean literacy at that time was so so low so unbelievably mm. low until you know 1917 the revolution so it was it was mostly Nobles who've maybe like travelled abroad a bit, done a lot of reading and were getting together just talking about things. So he's probably one of them. So pre pre revolutionary.
1: This is this is fantastic reasoning. <laughs> Keep going.
0: Uh and yeah, and the the czarist government was exiling people all the time. So I teach um I've been teaching Pushkin, um okay. the the Russian poet, you know, Russian equivalent of Shakespeare, um, to Year Twelves this year. And he was constantly in exile. I mean, we he he. So he was he died in his thirties in a duel, and he was in exile for nearly all of his life for one reason or another. Oh, goodness. Um. Sometimes it was like house exile. Um, he never ended up in Siberia. And bizarrely, the book we were studying, so Queen of Spades, we were studying it during lockdown in the pandemic, and he wrote it when he was in a lockdown because of a cholera outbreak oh, ap- epidemic in russia and he had to so that was a different type of exile he had to stay where he was um so yeah so i'd say it's sort of um late 19th century um going into the so before like 1905 that revolution
1: so jess (laughs) he was in exile between 1876 and 1917 so you're pretty much ah, spot on.
0: Okay. Not too bad. That's such know, a long time. No, that's great. Such a long time. Yeah.
1: He was in exile for a very, very long time. And, um, yeah, he actually was an aide to Alexander II mm. at one point. So you were right to talk about that. And he is the son of a prince. So, um, so you, all of that reasoning was, <laughs> was absolutely spot on, but he spent a lot of time in, in Switzerland, France, and here in the UK as well. So, uh, while he was in exile. So, um, yeah, very interesting person.
0: So he was just—they were just trying to keep him away, away from influencing other Russians by the sound Basically, of it. Yeah. yeah.
1: And um, I mean, I—I I, I didn't read too much about what happened to him after he turned after exile, but apparently he was—he uh, was shunned from the anarchist movement. Like um, after that, maybe there wasn't, you know, because every single, I, you know, idealism has its own subsets and sub- how you should approach it. I mean, you say the word communism and then everybody like goes and cowers in fears because they just think of like Russian big party communism, centralised communism, whereas they don't think about things like um, communism in the form of maybe how some indigenous, po- small indigenous populations do in certain parts of the world. But the word communism, of course, is dirty because of all of the history that's been portrayed because of it. And I guess that anarchism is the same. Anarchy, you just think of people throwing... Sorry to go Russian again. Molotov cocktails all over the place. <laughs> you know, that's anarchy. You know, smashing things up. Well, no, it's, it's actually basically self-governance, you know, without any influence from the top down. So, But we have a dirty word for anarchy because we use it to describe rioters and things like that. So, yeah. Um, but that's, but language and stuff, you can come back later on. We can talk about <laughs> that's uh, brilliant. But, yeah, so there you go. Well done. It's spot on. Um, good stuff. Right. So we'll come back to you personally now. To, time to, uh, here comes the pun, time to spill the beans. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, Scare, it sounds
0: a bit scary.
1: No, no. You're <laughs> going to tell people because this is basically, it's something that people who know you might not know about you, but you're happy to disclose. And that is that you used to play in a classical woodwind trio. So what? So you said you played the clarinet. Was there any other instrument you played? Or was it just the clarinet? Or
0: Piano. Ooh. Yeah, piano and yeah, clarinet. So, yeah, it goes back to Russia again. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I always did a lot of music at school, like a lot of, sort of little, little girls. And um started clarinet at primary school because um my teacher was was the, the classroom teacher was like the music man. <laughs> <laughs> and um so I did recorder and all that sort of thing and then he had a clarinet in his loft it was one of those stories actually true uh that I borrowed and he sort of dabbled in teaching me anyway and I sort of took to that and so I did that all the way through school wondered about going to music college but I was told that um you should probably only do that if you feel that's the only option like you've got such a burning desire that Hmm. you will kind of die if you don't go and do it and i thought well that's probably not the case (laughs) so hence i did languages anyway for my year abroad when i was in st petersburg um i studied clarinet at the conservatoire um which just because i thought why not really it's um a fun way to get to know people like in an authentic way rather than going to study Russian in a university or something um which was an absolutely amazing experience I was the only girl studying clarinet um, really? in the whole of the conservatoire yeah
1: whereas over here it's seen as a, a yeah don't, well, we're not going to go into gender identity with <laughs> no. me crikey, but but over here it is seen as a as a girl's instrument isn't it yeah so, yeah crazy enough i i really yeah I, I remember doing being in the recorder class and I, but i really really loved the sound of the clarinet and i really wish i was picked that up it's
0: yeah it's a good instrument it's so versatile yeah. and you can do all that soft genres. sound is just so yeah, beautiful yeah. Come, yeah. yeah from literally from nowhere and like a massive range
1: yeah. so, so you were the amazing. only girl at this conservatoire
0: yeah and is... they were a bit suspicious at first um <laughs> But sort of won them over because eventually the the teacher was really cool. Actually, he's dead now, but he was the principal clarinet that did all the first performances of Shostakovich um, symphonies in well, when it was Leningrad. So yeah, the whole thing was fascinating, and all the lessons. So your lessons here would be one to one, but there it's all like masterclasses. So every lesson, like all these. Lads would be crowded round the. Uh, they'd have two grand pianos in every little room. No shortage of pianos, and they'd be there like watching your lesson. So it was a. Huh. It yeah you had yeah it was kind of do or die really. Um, so yeah that was a great year. And then when I came back from uh, sorry when I finished my degree, I went and um, went to the Royal Academy of Music in London to carry on doing the clarinet uh like i said i think i'm definitely some attention span thing or like yeah agreed for like there's all this stuff you can do so i want to do it all but there's only one life so i want to do them all simultaneously it's not not really um possible um anyway and while i was at the academy i i uh, formed a trio so oboe clarinet bassoon (laughs) and for about 10 years um While at DEFRA, I went around with them doing gigs, so playing at, like, weird music societies in the middle of nowhere, and playing on cruises, saga cruises. There's a good geography link. Yeah, we went all over on these cruises, and uh, weddings, yeah, sometimes, like, two, two gigs a week. It was exhausting. Um... Yeah, and then I, I sort of, I, I kind of had to give it up really because we moved to Somerset and they, it was all they were based in London. But yeah, I miss it. I have got a nice little album, photo album. They got printed with all our, all our trips and things in, which I, I really like looking at.
1: <laughs> you don't happen to have any audio at all to show, like any oh recording, God. anyway.
0: Uh, there's a there's a website. I've been kind of erased, Soviet style, from it. There's just one <laughs> photo that, so they replaced me, like pretty rapidly, um, which I was a bit upset about. Um, but no, no, it's all good. It's good. It's good. They carried on. Uh, so they, it still exists. So it's called the Marlebone Trio.
1: The Marlebone Trio, because right? Because
0: Royal Academy is on Marlebone uh, uh, near Marlebone High Street, that. Marlborough Road, whatever it's called, and we actually played at the opening for a new Chiltern's railway line at Marlborough Station because of our name. Anyway, there's a there's a website and there's some clips on there. They're mostly not me, oh. and the only photo I'm on anymore, I think, is there's a picture of outreach work. Okay, I'm just looking it up now. The yeah, do. there it there. I'm under education work.
1: Okay, outreach. That's, reach, that's
0: yeah. me on the right with our marleben trio marleben tube station t-shirts nice
1: there we you are yeah. of,
0: we had sort of uniforms
1: with a bunch of uh those school kids there and their blue little jumpers listening very intensively yeah
0: but other than that i'm i might be on some of the tracks under listen but i'm not going to advise anyone to listen to that
1: oh <laughs> listeners if you like <laughs> like this kind of music classical woodwind music there you go we'll put the link to that in the description you can have a little listen to
0: there is jazzy stuff absolutely yeah. i used to get to do the jazzy bits and one of we used to play a solo each in the concerts to break it up and i used to play um some gershwin
1: sometimes nice when anyone, anyone someone says <laughs> jazz I, I i like to lean into my podcast mic and just do that whole jazz <laughs> jazz and here very nice we have jess on the clarinet nice we
0: we should have had you to compare
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel like i'd be i'd be like that that person on the first show like just
0: well we needed i think we needed a fourth party sometimes it got a bit intense
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh cool right that's wonderful um so where did we move on from there? That's just brilliant. Yeah, I was. I, I do. Uh, I it's so, so. It's a bit bittersweet mentioning this, but uh, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast before. But I actually played a saxophone, or used to play the saxophone. Oh. Yeah, I've got it upstairs in. But this sums it up really. I've got it upstairs in my loft. <laughs> um, such a shame. I used to play. I, I've got a grade. Oh, what what grade did I get up to? I think I got up to grade three. I think So I was Which, pretty decent. What type is it? Which
0: saxophone? tenor saxophone? Tenor sax.
1: Yeah, tenor saxophone, which was when I first started, it was just almost the size of me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had uh, I had um, I, I've I've never not heard from him since I was a sixth former. But I had a wonderful teacher called Dave Diamond. Class- what a what a what a Good classical day. name for it. Yeah, for a music teacher. Um, and yeah, he was um, a lovely guy, and he taught. And we used to the best parts of the music lessons for me was when we just improvised and just riffed off it. So so we would pick a key. Uh, or a chord and then would just go for it and that was like some of the best of oh, and then we would just jam for like just 10 minutes
0: i'm so impressed because i can't really play by ear i can just sight read but yeah i don't know how people do that the really weird thing is there's quite a famous saxophonist called gerard mccrystal uh-huh. so you yeah. you had david diamond gerard McChrystal.
1: Huh. I'm gonna to have to see, right. I'm, I'm definitely not gonna go all stalker, but I'm gonna see if. Um, oh, so you're gonna see, see if, if, if that, he's uh, yeah. What?
0: Happened well, yeah, to it was him?
1: it was a fantastic. Yeah, and I tell you, he, he really. And then went. I he then um, stopped teaching the classes because I think he moved away or something like that. And uh, yeah, and I just lost interest after that. Uh, went. You know, I took it to university with me. I went the you know UEA took UEA, but I, I with the intention of continuing to go. And I went to a couple of jazz classes, but. Then it just fizzled out, you know. Other things took over, you know. As you like, you, you know, things you want to do everything, bits of everything. It just dropped from there. So
0: he's not this. There's quite a well-known composer, by the look of it. He's American, though.
1: No, David Diamond.
0: That's a weird
1: coincidence. Yeah, no, I don't think that'd be. But anyway, in the rare, 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 (laughs) rare, 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 rare rare, rare chance that David, you know, you used to teach uh, music lessons in Harlow and Essex back in the late '90s, early 2000s get in contact Let me shout out <laughs> there's a shout out yeah crikey well wow, i wasn't expecting that memory to be brought up right uh, jess we're coming to the end of our chat now which is um which is a big 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 shame um but we have, do have to do one last thing and that is at the end of every episode we like to connect each of our guests together by doing something we are all geographers and i know that you're you're aware of this because you've uh, you liked a tweet with the the word cloud that all of these words are forming, and a beautiful word cloud it is. Please check that on the Coffee Jog Pod Twitter account, everybody. Now I had um, the wonderful Justin Boot speak to me last week. Um, they were absolutely fabulous guests, someone in Ca- in California, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And when I asked Justin to come up with a word for you to try and link to geography or to link to the environment or nature or whatever it is, they came up with the word. Elusive, oh God! Elusive, yeah. um And I tell you what, the words of late have been quite abstract.
0: <laughs> just, just to clarify, so as in E L U S I V. Right.
1: Well, this is it, and and I do apologise, Justin, if you're listening <laughs> to this. If I I did listen back to the recording with Justin a few times just to double check, did just did they say elusive or elusive? But I I said elusive after they did, and they didn't correct me. So. I think it is elusive. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Have a little think while I set up the timer for you, because there is a oh, thirty-second timer. 30, Thirty seconds. seconds. Okay. Just basically, you just you just talk as much you can about the word elusive. Oh. Yeah. Like can. that
0: that radio thing. Just a minute.
1: That's the one.
0: Oh God, I'm really bad at this sort of thing. By the way, I can play articulate,
1: but. <laughs> <laughs> you just tell me when you're okay. ready.
0: Okay. Okay, go for it. Okay, well, I think the thing about nature is that you can't, lots of people can't quite define what it means to them. So you don't know where your love or even hatred of it comes from. So it can be from like preverbal, like when you're a tiny little kid, some kind of experience, like being immersed in it or not experiencing it so that makes it elusive you can't quite put your finger on it you can't quite convey to people why it's so important
1: that's not bad (laughs) nice one Jess that was hard (sighs) Justin I I have to say Justin yeah you came up with a fantastic word there yeah I mean uh, elusive but yeah that's right I mean it's there's so much about also there's so much about nature and environment and everything which is unseen you know, and the the connections, the connections that we're all a part of. I mean, as, as we know, uh, Jess, because because of the kind of activism work that we do, is like this this lack of connection between human and and the environment, humans and the environment and nature means that you know it, it it's it's quite elusive in the fact of trying to get that message across mm. that we do need to protect the environment. Because in the end of the day, we will be destroying ourselves, mm. not just the environment. You know, and you know the current situation with coronavirus is is derivative of environmental degradation because it allows disease to foster and and stuff like that and i think our well-being you know it'll be uh, we will not be able to find our positive well-being it'll be quite elusive if we don't look after the environment (laughs) and and then um yeah so that was a hard one that was a hard one but you definitely got a connection uh, there who
0: was it who did that come from yeah
1: they uh justin yeah they they gave you the word elusive yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) no good stuff justin um right so but the good thing is is that you well you don't get your event venge back on justin that you do get to um challenge the next guest so you get to come up with a word of your choice or a topic of your choice that the next guest has to try and link to geography
0: so i'm finding that i'm looking around everything i think of it's like obviously to do with geography which i guess is the point because it's everywhere um so i think um i'm looking at our keyboard here i'll, I'll try music
1: music okay because that
0: links back with quite a lot of what we've been talking about can't do Russia I mean that's that's no, that's no good at all but maybe music
1: well we've we've had we've had words like discombobulated we've oh, had wow. embodiment we've had elusive so now we're bringing well, it mine's back, a
0: bit more yeah a bit more we're bringing
1: it back down to earth prosaic. excuse the pun <laughs> no no it's great but it's music.
0: Not. music is elusive it's out, what is it
1: yeah perfect
0: music yeah now,
1: the best thing about the we are all geographers thing it's not just the challenge of trying to link its geography it's the challenge of trying to th- trying to choose which way it yeah. links to geography and music there are so many different ways you can approach that so it'll be interesting to see what the next guest comes up with
0: i can think of something but i won't say it
1: <laughs> so jess um chance we've already given some shout outs already to like the uh, london's eco schools network and the um the, uh, the people who, you know, from your old group who've erased you, you know, the Marlebone uh, trio. <laughs> <laughs> but no, hi, everybody. Is there anyone else you'd like to say hi to?
0: Um, just, I probably should say it's the London Schools.
1: London Schools Eco Network, not the London's Eco Schools Network. Network. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've had we've had trouble with that, but yeah, because to differentiate from the Eco Schools programme, which of obviously all the schools do and we promote, and we're connected with
1: them. Yep, thank you for that correction.
0: So those guys, and then there's networks in. I'll quickly rattle them off. Go for it. Berkshire, the Midlands, Avon, Surrey, Somerset, Buckinghamshire, just setting up, and then I'm talking to folks in lots of other places. Um, Then we've got a UK Schools Sustainability Network Mm -hmm. that brings them all together. And we've got um, lots of exciting plans coming up for COP26. A website will be uh, launched quite soon for that. Uh, And there is a Twitter account, UK Schools Susty, And then there's Twitter and Instagram for all those different regional networks, uh, often run by the students. Uh, Global Action Plan. Of course, the charity where I uh, now work, as you said, and their school's program, which is called Transform Our World. Just stick that into Ecosia.
1: (laughs) Yep, Ecosia, the web browser, yep.
0: Yeah. Oh, and we're we're really excited. We're doing a webinar this evening with Project Drawdown, yes. the big climate solutions people in the US, which really exciting.
1: Yeah, and let's give a shout out to uh, to Chad Frischman because um, yes. I met I met Chad when I ran a conference for climate and energy scientists in in Co- in uh, just outside of Copenhagen um in 2019 so yeah so jess you can say yeah. uh say to chad say uh, kit sends their regards and
0: well do yeah absolutely. and lily platt lily, lily platt, platt as well oh is, bless is lily yeah there as well yeah and just thank you to all the staff all the students who are doing this all in their spare time absolutely. it's loads of hard work but it's definitely worth it and
1: everybody when when jess gave that list of um counties and regions you know if you heard yours try you know find out about it get involved join up if you didn't hear yours consider thinking starting one up like norfolk and suffolk i didn't hear your name i didn't no. hear your name so no,
0: they are a and i'm, bit not, of a gap. And I'm yeah. gonna step
1: back. i'm not gonna try and set up something else <laughs> i want someone else to do that one uh yeah, i'm already doing enough as it is
0: oh ireland i forgot ireland. there's ireland. ireland as well yes yeah
1: good so get involved and, and
0: check out check out the previous youth climate summit yes including um your brilliant poem oh bless yeah that you performed that was loads of fun
1: yeah right and what about yourself though so if people want to connect with you how do they find you on twitter
0: so i am i think i'm dr jess t underscore eco
1: that sounds about right
0: oh and i'm on linkedin which i quite like it's a bit calmer <laughs> <laughs> twitter you're like oh i've got to keep up yeah
1: it's very ephemeral twitter it's like i'm um, trying to chase yes, after exactly a train of t- tweets that kind of run away from you right okay jess this was loads of fun thank you so so much and i've learned i've learned more about you that i didn't realize which is uh, fantastic always nice when someone you know tells you something you didn't know so <laughs> well
0: thank you i really really enjoyed that and i shall check out um kropotkin yeah so great. many interesting russians
1: thank you very much jess thank you so much for listening we hope you had fun if you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at Pod and send us a DM. Or you could email jog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging. just been talking about russian we're going to talk about um peter kropotkin kropotting kropotkin I'll let <laughs> out. peter kropotkin and uh he was um for five years actually a young man in the russian military army uh, based in siberia but what he did not just his military duties he was also he studied animal life he engaged in geographical explanation explanation goodness <laughs> me kit